Your story. It lives in River City. Where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel. Where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another. Where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha. Told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives. I'm Su Lin Wong, host of The Prince, a new podcast series from The Economist. It's about China's leader, Xi Jinping. He's the most powerful man in the world, but he remains a mystery. His story is hidden behind a brutal censorship and propaganda machine. After 10 years in charge, it looks like he'll break convention to stay on, perhaps for the rest of his life. I'll tell the real story of China's leader, the lessons he learned from watching his parents lose everything and from rising through the ranks of a vicious regime. Now, he's using those lessons to control over a billion people. He's changed China, he's changed my life, and the decisions he makes affect us all. To understand what's next, you need to know where he came from. Listen to The Prince from The Economist wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Cast podcast. It is the Huddle Up podcast presented as always by Mile High Huddle. It is powered by Overtime Media coming to you from the Vivid Seat Studio. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me as always, as our YouTube viewers can see, the one, the only, my partner in crime, Zach Kelberman. Zach, if it weren't for you, our listeners would not be getting a mile high mailbag this week because I kind of screwed things up for us with my, I'm going out of town tomorrow to go to one of my best buddies, uh, his, his uh, boy's wedding, which would have thrown a wrench in everything. But you're like, no, nah, dude, we're digging deep. We're going to do it. We're going to knock it out Wednesday night. We'll go live. We'll get this thing done. Teamwork makes the dream work, man. Like, you know, you have to do what you got to do. And I'm always, I'm always ready to feed Broncos country. I don't, I love getting on here and I, I think we're going to have a great mailbag segment tonight. So I'm ready to hop back into it. Yeah. So since we are doing this on Wednesday, usually we're going to do these simulcasts Thursday night. The podcast listeners, they'll get the episode on Friday. We're having to kind of shorten that or at least swap it around this week. So let's real quick before we get to some of the questions. And by the way, welcome in everybody who's who's viewing with us live. Quentin, Josh, Josh, what's up, you guys? Um, I want to really quick, because I know this is a hot topic on the minds of our our live viewers, get your thoughts on what's going on with Bryce Callahan. And for those of you who might have missed it, the the, uh, veteran corner free agent acquired this past spring, three-year deal, $21 million. He's making $7 million a year. Hasn't suited up in a game yet, and he's not going to, Zach, for at least another four to six weeks. As over the weekend, he had a meeting with some doctors because his foot continued to bother him. So he finally went in. They said, well, let's try this procedure that should help promote healing, quote-unquote. And he went under the knife. I don't know exactly the extent of the procedure, but it's going to keep him out another four to six weeks. And like we talked about on the podcast, in the last podcast that we did about the Jaguars game, it, it's um, it's disappointing, and it seems like the Broncos got damaged goods, and this is it's, it leads me to believe this is why 
Chicago was okay letting Callahan walk. You don't let good talent like that in their prime slot cover corners, shut down corners, just walk in free agency. And there's a reason why he got to the second level, second wave. There's a reason why the Broncos got him for a bargain. There's a reason why he was in the bargain bin. Um, I thought his foot would have healed by now. I thought he would have had a quicker recovery, and I thought the Broncos were playing it safe you know, in the past. But he either had a setback or they weren't being entirely forthcoming or something happened there. But it's disappointing that they're going to pay all this money for a guy who hasn't stepped on the field and he won't until midseason or you know perhaps even longer. Devontae Bosby step right up. I guess that's where we're at yep. because that's kind of how it's, it appeared to be trending anyway against the Packers was Isaac Yadam took a little bit of a backseat to Devontae Bosby and it paid dividends for the Broncos. I mean, he got him off the field on two separate drives, breaking up a third down pass twice from Aaron Rodgers. How are, uh, what's your outlook on Bosby? What's your outlook on Yadam heading into this week four matchup against the rookie Gardner Minshew and the Jacksonville Jacks? Yeah, it, this is a good get-right game for the Broncos' defense in general, but like we talked about, I'm a way bigger Bosby fan than I am a Yadam fan. I've never been a fan of Yadam's game. Uh, I know he has a length. I know he was a high-round draft pick, but um, I think Bosby just gels better in a Fangio system and a Donald's Health system, and he's making plays on the ball. I mean, that's what we talked about in the last pod, how refreshing it was to see a Broncos cornerback get past inflections, make some plays, positive impact in a game, and not just allow completions right in front of them. If it was up to me, I would already bench Yadam and put Bosby in his role. And like we talked about, I just hope that uh, Fangio isn't too stubborn and wants to play his guys and wants to show that you know even these these potential busts can succeed, succeed in his system because it hasn't happened yet. we got a lot of questions to get to. We'll see what's on the minds of our live viewers as we dive into this conversation even further. First, though, just a couple of quick reminders, you guys. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. That's how you stay in touch when we throw a fast one on you and we're, we skip a day or we're, we got an announcement or a giveaway or a drawing or anything new. Following us on Twitter is the best way to make sure you don't miss out on anything, at HuddleUpPod. And even though right now it's our, our listeners on YouTube, the majority of you, that's where you listen to the, to the show Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts. A lot of you are iPhone users. Go there. Leave us a creative review. If you like what you're hearing from us and the work we're doing, give us a five-star rating, and then that's going to enter you into the drawing, our giveaway that we're going to do some swag at the end of the month. So take care of that. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach. Your story. It lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small-town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives. As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. Let's get to a couple things here while we're still on the topic really quick. We'll get to the live guys here in just a second. We'll rotate. I want to get this reaction from Bad Goat on Twitter in the mailbag. He says, uh, Vic Fangio had his hands tied by John Elway's ego and wasn't afforded the opportunity to go out and get the players he needs for the secondary. His defensive schemes need a dominant pass cover group to be effective. 
And then he finishes with Dalton Reisner is a monster and the only draft pick that made sense. Your response to bad goat. How much more talent do you want in the Broncos defense? You have two great bookend pass rushers. You have an all-pro, a former all-pro in Chris Harris Jr. You have Kareem Jackson, who's played well. You spent a third on on Yadam. I mean, you you spent money on Callahan. How much more talent do you want, and how much more excuses do you want before you start pointing the finger the other way at the coaching? I mean, players can only take you so far, as we talked about the last couple years. At some point, you can have uh, 11 Hall of Famers out there. It doesn't matter if the scheme is shoddy. All right. As always, you guys, this is the Mile High Mailbag. Zach and I, we are your football priests, and each and every week we're going to be here to offer you the absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions. This one here, let's start with Aaron Lynch, live on YouTube as we simulcast. Even with the season indicating transition, do you think they'll wait on Locke because of the impatient culture that's been created in Denver, especially with the quarterback position? So I assume what he's saying there, Zach, is – Will the Broncos, if things continue to basically move forward the way it has so far this season, are the Broncos going to wait on on activating Drew Locke and just kind of make him a 2020 rollout, or do you think they'll bite the bullet? Uh, it's so hard to project right now because Flacco isn't playing terribly, but he's not playing overly well either. And I think one of those things has to happen to get a decision on, on Drew Locke. Uh, right, right, right now, my gut tells me they will just keep him on ice, keep him in mothballs until 2020, let that thumb uh, fully heal, let him absorb on the playbook and come back for a second season, hopefully pushing for a starting job. I just think that they're all really tied to Flacco right now. Financially, uh, you know, morality-wise, I think they're just all in on Flacco, and it's going to take a lot, a major injury or just a major downturn to get Drew Locke on the field this season. My opinion is that if the Broncos get – because once the bye, is the bye week 10 this, mm-hmm. yeah. this year? So Drew Locke could begin practicing again week 7. He can be activated and put back on the roster in week 9, officially to be back on the roster – it wouldn't surprise me that they'll wait at least until – I think they're going to activate Drew Locke regardless because if things continue to slide like this, I think they're going to want to at least have him as an option to put in there. And what they'll probably do is wait to see what the complexion of this season is looking like as they enter the bye. And that will kind of be their evaluation zone on having those conversations. Are we ready to turn the page? We tried with Flacco. You know, He was supposed to be an immediate solution to help us steady the ship, right the ship. Uh, the way it's trending, they're going to be sub 500 come that point. So I think that's kind of the date. I, I do think the the farther we get into this season, the more it's dawning on John Elway, Zach, that look, I got to face facts. And even if in my you know mind's eye, I was thinking I'm going to keep lock on ice all year long, the way this season is unfolding and the the, the, the villagers are restless. They're, they're going to want to get a look at Drew Locke this year if the Broncos continue to play sub 500 ball. And I think that pressure is going to come from above. I mean, Elway's going to want to play his guy because he's feeling a lot more pressure right now than Vic Fangio. Fangio, whatever happens, whoever quarterback is going to be on the field this year, it's a honeymoon season for Fangio. Not so much for Elway. He has to prove that he got both these guys right, Flacco and Locke. So if they both uh, get on, don't get on the field, they both don't you know perform well this season, it's not going to be you know trending upward for him going forward. Christy loves my mustache, the Mick mustache. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think, man? Hey, it's really the only place on my face that I can grow a decent uh, facial hair, so I just got to rock it, you know? Daniel says, what is Denver doing well? I know our offensive line isn't at its greatest. The defense has been alarmingly disappointing, but it hasn't been great since the Super Bowl either. Well, let's take a look at some of the metrics. If you look at the Denver Broncos offense, you guys, 
there is not one metric in which they are top 10 as far as the key metrics. They are a middling to bottom 10 offense at this stage on almost everything from net yards, yards per play, points per game. Rushing, they're middle of the pack. They're averaging 111 yards on the ground per game, which is good for 14th. Offensively, Zach, I can't really say they're doing anything all that well. However, to answer his question, I do think you have to try and find some optimism in terms of their rushing attack. It really came to life on the road in Green Bay, 149 yards. Philip Lindsay played with great fire. I mean, Freeman should have had a touchdown that was wiped off the board. Offensively, there's that. They're sustaining drives. They're starting to find more of a groove, but it's still nowhere close to have being enough to close the distance and be a winning brand of football. And then on the other side, I mean, you guys, the Broncos, they're not getting to the to the quarterback and they're not forcing takeaways. But, Zach, this is currently the sixth passing defense. They're not ranked number six against the pass right now. They're only allowing 204 passing yards per game. And then net yards, they're also top ten. These are the only two areas defensively the Broncos are top ten. Against the pass, they're sixth. And then in net yards relinquished per game, they're ninth, allowing 314 per game. Yeah, I'll agree with you about the run game. It really sparked last week, and they can feed off that at home against the Jacksonville defense that's susceptible against the run game. I think that was definitely a, a bright sign in a dismal Broncos season so far. But about the pass defense, I look at the the not things in a vacuum on a game-by-game basis. In that Raiders game, Carr might not have had a thrown for a lot of yards, but he was picking them apart on third down. He was getting the ball out quick. So the pass defense still isn't there. I was going to say the Broncos' run defense at times is pretty stout. I think uh, Bradley Chubb, if he's doing one thing well, Von Miller, they're playing good against the run. They have Todd Davis back. So just in the years past, the Broncos have a good running game and a good run defense. Where they still you know fail is the pass defense and the quarterbacking. I mean, they're trending in the right direction, at least against the run, because they were averaging, they basically gave up 250 yards total in the first two games on the ground. Todd Davis comes back, you know, cuts that in half. They, I think they only allowed 77 yards off the top of my head in Green Bay. So that's trending in the right direction. The key is, and this, this gets to our next question here, from Mr. Bloop22 on YouTube. He says, do you guys think we can somehow get a sack or a takeaway against the Jaguars? Can Vaughn or Chris Harris Jr. step up? So that's the key here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of snowballed to a point where it feels like this is a, an issue that has taken on a life of its own. It's almost like, a, you know, there's some bad voodoo or something that's going on here. I, I remain confident, Zach, that the law of averages at this point is on Denver's side. I think this is a game in which, you know, we just had a conversation with John Shipley, which you guys will all hear here very soon, Jaguars journalist, he pointed to that Jags offensive line as being extremely suspect. And f- between that, the energy, vi- uh, the the mindset in terms of the Broncos really wanting to snap this streak, Fangio maybe changing a few things up, I think, and going against a rookie quarterback, I think this is the week where they finally break that ice. Yeah, I firmly believe, and maybe my opinion isn't noteworthy right now because I'm getting all these predictions wrong every week. I'm 0-3, but I, I firmly, and you too, yeah, but I firmly believe that uh, this is a get-right game for the Broncos on offense and defense. I think the Broncos will win this game, and fairly handily. I'm not saying that from my, my brain. I'm saying that from my gut. I truly feel it. And I and Vaughn's going to get, or Chubb's going to get on the, on the score sheet. They're going to get more touchdowns this week. This is a true game where they kind of spark some of that positive momentum going into the Chargers game, going into the, the next quarter of the season like we talked about in the last pod, Chad. If they can get to 3-3 three and three by the Chiefs game, it's a new season. And that starts, I think, against Jacksonville this week. And these next three games, I mean, they are winnable. 
We we know it's the Jags. Yeah. Then you got going on the road to the Chargers, where they won last year. And this this Chargers team, between their injuries and just not quite putting it together yet, they're not looking so hot. But th- they're also a team that likes to start off on the wrong foot and then finish strong. So we can't read too far into that. And then the Tennessee Titans. So yeah, these next three games, as you you so astutely pointed out, they can get uh, to five hundred. It's it's a whole new season now. Mark Anthony Ignacio on YouTube says. Though we are 0-3, do you feel better overall than last year's losing streak? I feel like the team is handling it better, I think is what he's trying to say there. And once Vaughn and Chubb get there, you know what? Together we can start winning again. Your answer. I mean, a losing streak is a losing streak. They're both pretty bad. I mean, you're not going to pick one over the other. It's putting lipstick on a pig there. Um, it, it's too soon to tell. Ultimately, let, let's let things play out till the end of the season, and we'll see how the Broncos respond. And that's why, partly, I feel the Broncos are going to win this game on Sunday. Uh, a Vic Fangio operation going through turmoil and adversity is going to respond a lot better than a Vance Joseph outfit. So that starts on Sunday against Jacksonville. Conversely, though, if they lose this game and they go to 0-4 and they show no fight, then you can start saying that this one is is infinitely worse because they have more talent, more hope, better coaching, and they still can't put it together. But I, I don't really compare, you know, better losing streaks. It's it's still losing in the end. And understandably so, the fans, of course, are up in arms over this zero three start. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of misgivings. It's, I would say, after the Green Bay game, it, the dam broke, and it's a full on panic right now in the Mile High City, and yet. You listen to guys like the, the veterans like Chris Harris Jr. stand up, Emmanuel Sanders stand up, Joe Flacco, even though he's a transplant, he is a veteran. They don't sound worried. Now, that's not to say they're not recognizing the precariousness of their situation and how dire they are the situation is right now. I don't think they're ignorant or oblivious of that, but they remain confident. doesn't sound like there's any infighting. They believe they're on the right track. They believe the talent is there to win now, as Emmanuel Sanders said on Tuesday. So I think fans at this stage try and and take some encouragement from that, and we'll see if in this game, I mean, it's not going to get more uh, much more favorable than this. I mean, even though the Jaguars have some talent, I mean, let's face it, you're going against a quarterback making his third career start. He's right. a rookie, and that offensive line is porous. The defense, they have some talent there. Jalen Ramsey is trending towards not playing in this game. They have been a sieve against the run. You can run the football on this Jags defense. So this is, as you said, that's a great way to put it. This is a get-right game. Here's uh, from Mr. Bloop22. If we tank this season, is our goal to draft Tua? No. That's the Dolphins' goal right now, and they're beating the Broncos to the punch. And they're going to probably end up with the number one pick, and they will draft him. And uh, we just have to see how the draft shakes out. They have Herbert from Oregon. They have uh, you know a couple other quarterbacks coming out from. I mean, they have some some options the next couple of years if they want to go that route. But I firmly believe between Flacco and Locke, they're pretty much barring any th- surprises out of the quarterback market, at least that high up in the first round. Yeah, I concur. Even if they end up playing Locke at some point this year and he doesn't do well, I don't think you're going to see them use a high-round pick on a quarterback. Now, even though the Cardinals just set a new precedent, John Elway, I just don't see that happening. Here's one, uh, John Fair. You think it's possible that the Broncos can make a trade for a young linebacker, someone like Jerome Baker from the Miami Dolphins? Is it it possible? Yes. Is it probable? I don't really think so. I don't see it happening, Zach. Like we, we've been, we get this question almost every single week between the ineffectiveness and the Broncos injuries at linebacker. If it was going to happen, it would have happened already. The Broncos had multiple chances this offseason to trade for a linebacker, acquire a linebacker, and they're just happy with the players they have. So I would not look for that to happen. From Stu, why don't we start Bosby over Yadam? He is clearly superior. Coaching. It's coaching and draft status. What else could it be? I mean, that's. 
I'm only two and, factors. Yeah, and I that could very well change this week. It wouldn't surprise me if, based on the play from week three, I mean, again, he's the one cornerback thus far. And I don't want to throw too much shade on Chris Harris because he's been tasked with suddenly playing from being the, the plan being to play him in the nickel to playing outside and taking the number one guy. And while he hasn't quote, I don't quite concur with him that he's shut down the opposing number one wide receiver through three weeks. He's limiting them to a point where they're unable to affect the game, but I still haven't seen Chris Harris jr. Break up a pass that I can think of at least right now off the top of my head. Meanwhile, Bosby, you know, he affected the game. He, he helped his defense get off the field. He helped, get that Broncos offense, the ball back on third down. So if I'm the Broncos right now, I'm looking for any type of impact performance or player. And right now that's Bosby. Let's see what Josh has to say here. He says, whoop. He says, uh, I enjoyed seeing Dawson, Duke Dawson, uh, Dawson and uh, Justin Hollins getting reps. You guys see Dawson being able to step in at nickel and allow Jackson to stay at safety. It doesn't sound like the plan now is for that to happen. I think that you'll you'll start seeing him and Harris, Devontae Harris, get sprinkled in at cornerback as the season progresses. Clearly, the coaches feel a little bit more confident in terms of where Duke Dawson is right now mentally with the system than Devontae Harris, who they also picked up the same day off waivers from formerly of the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think the plan is at this point to mess with any other formula. They know Jackson can handle the nickel. They know he can handle the safety, but they're not sure any of those other guys can really hold down the fort, Zach, at nickel besides Jackson and Harris, and they want Harris on the outside while Callahan's licking his wounds. Right, exactly, and until Callahan gets back and they can afford to, to try out some new formations and new players, they're kind of sick with what they know. But I'm excited to see the young talent on the Broncos roster. I mean, it's something that we've been calling for the last couple of years is to restock that cupboard in the secondary at linebacker, and I like how Hollins has played. To me, he's looked better than, than Corey Nelson on the field, and, and I'd rather throw him out there and let him and progress than have a veteran like Nelson just stumbling around on third down. So they're not where they want to be yet. The Broncos want those players, but to see them progress in the system and hopefully they can become tr- contributors in the future, that's all you can really hope for at this point. This one comes here from Brent Pepper. Just wondering why wouldn't the defense not roll Vaughn or Chubb inside or move them around to give them a chance? We've seen Fangio do it a couple of times where he's rushed Chubb from the inside, but why don't they? Uh, I mean, more more so than anything at this point, I just want to see them maybe not dropping back into coverage quite so much. Right. However, Bradley Chubb has played well when he's been tasked with doing that. In fact, Eric Trickle had a film article at milehighhuddle.com today on Wednesday breaking down Chubb's game from uh, the Packers game. And in coverage and against the run, he was money. He's the only guy that's hit a quarterback yet so far for the Broncos, Bradley Chubb, believe it or not. Bradley Chubb has three quarterback hits, which are the only three quarterback hits the Broncos have garnered. I don't know how much at this point you want to mess with the formula, Zach. I think at this stage the messaging from from Fangio anyway is we got to stay true to what uh, we installed. we got to stay true to our philosophy. Don't make change for change's sake. What I would rather see, Zach, rather than moving you know, Vaughn or Chubb inside is – yeah, throw in some stunts. Let me see some of that. But also, let me see some all-out blitzes. You know, rush five or six guys right. a few times a game on third down. Yeah, where's the kitchen sink at? Where's rushing Chubb and Miller on the same side? Where are all these packages that he talked about? The Broncos NASCAR package, where's the pressure? And the most I've seen on, on the inside, I, th- I think I saw Vaughn line up at middle linebacker on a run play in, in, against the Packers, and that doesn't move the needle for me. You're taking your best player and, and hampering him and taking away his best strength. 
I want to see more blitz packages. I want to see more aggressiveness. I want to see both on the same side rushing in. I want to see the Broncos just utterly overwhelm an offensive line. And until then, to me, Fangio's whole reputation doesn't really precede him. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Trick Lessons podcast is saying that he thought he had read that Bosby is starting. I haven't seen that, but I've been out and about the last three or four hours doing uh, some some uh, parent-teacher conference stuff with my kids, so it could very well be that that's the case. Here's one from Harry. Is it time to place Bryce Callahan on IR and open up that spot for development and evaluation of other players? You know, you, you would have hoped, Zach, that the Broncos would have at least had enough insight on that injury to – put him on IR at the start of the season. That way they're getting him back right. in the same time frame, or they could at least get him back in the same time frame as they can get locked back. But at this stage, if you put him on injured reserve, eight weeks minimum, eight weeks minimum. And I think the Broncos, they're hoping, their whole reason he's doing this procedure is so that they can still get him back in time to have some kind of an effect on the season. Yeah, they're not counting him out just yet because they don't feel like the season's over with. If they were 0-6 and, and he needed four more weeks, then yeah, maybe they would shelve him for the rest of the season. But they want to see what he can do, and, and not just to help the Broncos win, but to see what they have in him to make their plan going forward. If they want to resign Chris Harris Jr., they want to keep Kareem Jackson at safety, that's kind of dependent on what Bryce Callahan can do and his availability. So they're going to get him on the field at some point this season. I would not anticipate IR unless his foot just suffers another aggravation and he has no other choice. Trick Lessons podcast sends, sends us five bucks. Thank you, my dog. Hey, hit me up on uh, Facebook with your email address. I'll send you a little something, something. We really appreciate, appreciate that. Appreciate you. Buddy. Anyone wants to do that's a great way to support the show. Keep bringing this content to you guys. We appreciate that. Here's one from Aaron Lynch, linebacker, Chicago. Oh, wait, no, that's not the same Aaron Lynch. <laughs> I had that thought, actually, when I first saw his name. Have you noticed a change in Emmanuel Sanders' demeanor? During press conferences, I assume is what he means by PCs. He seems to be tabling his cocky, complaining tendencies to be more of a calm leader. Could you see him wanting to stay with Denver? I'll tell you what what could keep Sanders in town. Show him the money. That's what he cares about at this stage. He's got his ring. He's got his Pro Bowls. He's got his 1,000-yard seasons. And, of course, any players, any veteran is going to tell you they want to play on a winning program. They want to be with a winning ball club. But at this stage in his career, his age 32 season, he he wants to get paid next year. And if the Broncos are willing to pony up some of that cap space that they're going to have, then he'll be happy to sign the dotted line. Yeah, I agree with you. And I will say of, of the two, of Emmanuel Sanders and Chris Harris Jr., I kind of lump them together, both as 2019 mercenaries. I believe that Sanders not only has a better chance of returning, but he would, I think, give the Broncos more of a hometown discount, just a couple million maybe just to stick around if he has another prove-it season or if he just connects well with Scangarello and Flacco the rest of the year. It's really all going to come down to how the rest of the season plays out. 
I have noticed Sanders try to take more accountability, and he didn't shy away from that in the press conference. He said the, the Broncos are in a world of suck, and he was just repeating Vic Fangio, and it's right. the truth. And I, I like a player getting up there and having that refreshing honesty and not just spouting off the same cliches. So I, I give a lot of credit to Emmanuel Sanders, and I, I hope he can find some success here because the more success he has, the more likelihood that he comes back next year. Here's one from Travis Bishop. We need to get Juwan Winfrey in there for a spark. Well, far be it for me to say that the Broncos should not be getting Winfrey any reps or snaps in game. He has been getting a few. He's been killing it on special teams. I don't know if you guys noticed, especially last week against the Packers. As a gunner, Winfrey was the first one down there on punts multiple times. So they're easing him in. But right now the Broncos need their hitters to hit. They need their Cortland Suttons to hit. They need Emmanuel Sanders to hit. They need Noah Fant to stop fumbling the ball. And by the way, everyone was freaking out about TJ Hawkinson having that huge week one performance and Noah Fant, you know, kind of whatever it was, one or two catches. Noah Fant has outproduced his former teammate, TJ Hawkinson, the two first round tight ends this year over the last two weeks. And in fact, Noah Fant is trending toward having a much more prolific rookie season as a tight end than TJ Hawkinson. But Zach, that's my message here to Travis as it regards Winfrey is, yeah, sure, you want to get him. I don't think he's going to provide the spark that Travis is thinking. But more so than anything, this Broncos team needs their veterans, their stars, the, the guys who are supposed to be the impact players making an impact. And we've seen it from guys. Sanders had a great first week and a great second week. Sutton's been pretty steady, although he was he kind of disappeared at times in that Bears game. And and Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, they've kind of been carrying the water. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I feel like the Broncos should eat what's on their plate right now instead of asking for seconds. I mean, you're, you're already struggling to get all your players involved, all your weapons. Philip Lindsay finally got going a little bit. You're still forming that chemistry with Sanders and Sutton, like you mentioned. Deshaun Hamilton's been underwhelming this year. They have priorities and a pecking order to follow and Winfrey doesn't fall in that for now. So until things get a little more stable and they can feel more comfortable opening up the playbook, I would not anticipate Winfrey having a big impact, if any impact this season. Quick question from Stu. How do I send five bucks? If you're, you're watching this on YouTube, there's a button right there uh, that you press as you're, as you're watching, scroll around. You can, you can see it on the super chat. Um, appreciate you, Stu. Let's see what we got here from Josh has another question. What are your guys' thoughts on the promotion of Fred Brown and the cutting of River Craycraft, which is something that happened in between our last pod and in this live? Yeah, so the Broncos, for those who missed it, they promoted Fred Brown off the practice squad. They cut River Craycraft, and then they signed Trinity Benson to the practice squad who had been on the street for the last three weeks. So what were your thoughts on that uh, trio of roster moves? I have two thoughts on that. One is the Broncos are comfortable a punt returner with Deontay Spencer, and rightfully so, he's, he's looked pretty good. And, and and the second of all, the Broncos want more speed on offense. Yeah, that's your that's the only reason you're promoting Fred Brown. It's the only reason you're bringing back Benson. Those guys are burners. And aside from Philip Lindsay and, and Emmanuel Sanders every now and then, you don't have that speed element. The Broncos are still looking for that juice. Just like a couple of years ago, we still haven't found it. It was supposed to be Brennan Langley this offseason. That didn't work out. So they're really trying to have some speed on offense, and I like it. Take some shots down the field. If this means that Scangarello is going to finally open up the playbook and go downfield, I'm all for it. Here's one from Two Bayout Bayo Bayo. What about bringing C.J. Anderson back or Brandon Marshall? No. Listen, we don't need another running back. The Broncos are are set at running back. Uh, I would actually, at this stage, though, with Josie Jewell being banged up now and Corey Nelson being a complete embarrassment most of the time he's been on the field, I'm a, I'm a lot more amenable three weeks into the season now to the idea of bringing Brandon Marshall back. But at the same time, Zach, 
you know, he doesn't know the system. But listen, Corey Nelson crammed it in eight days and got on the field as a starter. So if he could do it, I would assume Brandon Marshall could. And, and from what he's saying, he's completely healthy. But what is a healthy Marshall going to bring to the Broncos defense? They, they have good run-stopping inside linebackers, and we all forget about how bad Brandon Marshall looked the last couple of years, and it's just more recency bias. I'd rather those reps go to Justin Hollins, Alexander Jos- Johnson, the younger players, instead of bringing back an X, and X's are X's for a reason. You know, you put two, two and two together, I don't think Marshall's coming back. Stu figured it out. Appreciate you, Stu. Appreciate you, bro. A um, couple more, and then we got to get out of here. Mr. Blue 22, how much time do you think the personnel needs to get the Fangio system in their head? Chicago needed like two seasons to execute it well. And that's a good point. And it's one that's been lost, I think, on Broncos fans. And maybe guys like you and I are a little bit to blame on this, expecting more from Fangio's scheme out of the gates than maybe was was realistic because he joined the Chicago Bears as defensive coordinator the same year John Fox took over as head coach, 2015. And they were playing solid ball in in 2017, but they didn't turn the corner and become the beast and the animal that they were until his fourth year. And it also, Zach, coincided with the arrival of Roquan Smith and Khalil Mack. So it's equal parts scheme. You need the scheme. But as Chris Harris Jr. said earlier this week, this is a player's league. And if you don't have the players and the players aren't doing their job, coaches can only do so much. They can't affect what's happening on the field. They can call plays, but the execution, the intensity, all that – it, it comes down to the players. And so I think it's fair to say to answer his question, it's still going to take – I think it's going to take this entire season for it to really settle in yeah. on these players, the scheme. But you're already seeing it start to reshape the, the – at least the production because the Broncos stiffened up against the run. And as we talked about earlier in the show, you're, you're looking at the six, number six passing defense right now three weeks in. Well, let me say there's a a difference between adjusting to the scheme and just looking lost in the scheme and not getting any production, any takeaways, any sacks. That being said, though, I've consistently talked about the Broncos being a 2020 and beyond team. This is really, um, whether they want to admit it or not, a rebuild. And they're going to force their own hand here and and go through the pains and, and the growing pains and the struggles of an entirely new rookie coaching staff. But once that all settles down, I mean, you've got Noah Fan getting good snaps out there. you got Reisner, who's looking like a future All-Pro. You have Locke coming back this season. Once those ingredients come together, Fangio's gets the players to buy into his defense and they execute his defense. Hopefully he makes the adjustments. You're going to see a really good playoff caliber team. I I didn't think it would happen in 2019, but I do think in 2020, you'll see a vast improvement. Brian says, if the Broncos do end up going three and zero in the next three games, do you honestly see us stopping the offensive juggernaut in Kansas city with the momentum on our side? Well, why not? I I don't Two things to consider, okay? Last year with Vance Joseph and Joe Woods calling the signals defensively and the X's and O's, the Broncos lost by single-score margins both games, and they should have beat Kansas City and Denver if Case Keenum completes a pass to Demarius Thomas <laughs> wide open down the side, right sideline in the end of the fourth quarter. So that's point one. They played them tight last year. John always talked a lot about that. They don't think they're that far away from Kansas City, at least in terms of being able to contend with them defense to offense. Offensively, though, that's where you have to wonder whether or not there's enough firepower here to keep up with Mahomes. But the other point here with regard to the Kansas City Chiefs is the Denver Broncos are heading into this coming week. Or well, what is that, week seven against the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah. And I think if you look back last year, Vic Fangio shut down 
whatever it ended up being, the number one or the number two. It was the number two offense in the L.A. Rams. Held Sean McVay's uh, offense to the lowest scoring output in his tenure. So he knows how to do it. It's just a matter of will the players be playing on a level yet and cohesive with his his defense when that time comes. Why not, though? I mean, any given Sunday in the NFL, it's not just a cliche and it's not just a good movie. It, it really can happen. Any team can be beat on any night. And like Chad mentioned, the Broncos were this close away from pulling off a massive upset last year. If this defense clicks, though, they play up to their strengths and the offense gets going, they can beat the Chiefs. I don't think they're going to be favored in that game. I don't think they ultimately will beat them, but they can. They have the horses to stop Mahomes, and they have enough firepower on offense if they use it right and the stars align to put up enough points to hold Kansas City off. They're not going to be, you know, favorites. They're going to be underdogs for that contest. But they win three straight. They're going to be riding high and feeling good, and that means they're going to be playing better on both sides. It should be if we get to that. If we get to three and three Broncos against Kansas City, that's going to be a pretty good game. Love the optimism and the positivity. Last question, guys. Then we got to get out of here for today. This one comes from Tony. He says, do you think that the ownership problem will keep Elway in power if losses continue? Uh, Zach, here's what I think is with regard to the ownership issue in Elway, if, if this thing continues to slide and this is like a 4-12-ish or worse season, I don't know that the Broncos even still end up firing John Elway as president. What I could see, though, is a guy like, uh, Joe Ellis, or if the new owner, if Brittany Bolin ends up getting grafted into the decision making sooner rather than later, I could see them coming to John and saying, Hey, John, we want you to stay on as president of football operations and manage things on the executive side of the football operation, but we want you to bring in a new GM. We want some, a fresh set of eyes making these player evaluations in the draft, you know, signing free agents. I could see that happening. Yeah, I could too, but I don't think Elway's ego would allow him to to remain in the facility while another person takes his old job. It, he has so much job security. He's basically running this team right now, and, and it would take, I think, even two more consecutive four and twelve type seasons for the Broncos to even consider it. Uh, based on the fact that he has a honeymoon with Vic Fangio, based on the fact that his ownership situation's up in the air, until that gets resolved and we know who the owner is going to be, and they're their you know their morals and, and the things they follow their values Elway is safe i mean he has enough clout in denver and you win one title one super bowl buys yourself at least five years so along that time frame he's still pretty good trick lessons podcast says he's got to go ellis has to fire elway no well way. if if they end up going you know four 12 or worse it's going to be a conversation i mean it has to happen the, the, the villagers might not allow this to continue with Elway as the figurehead here, calling the shots, pulling the strings on the football side. But that's still, uh, <clears throat> at least at this stage, it's a bridge too far. We're, it's too early in the season. Listen to the messaging from the players. Listen to the coaches. They're still very confident in terms of being able to turn this thing around. We'll see how it shakes out. But you guys, that's got to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast, the Mile High Mailbag, live simulcasting on YouTube. Big thanks to everyone who hung out here with us, to Stu, to Trick Lessons Podcast for chipping in a few clams to uh, help us pay the bills. We really yes. appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll be back with a fresh episode. Now, this is going to publish for our podcast listeners, just so you know what's coming on Thursday. And then you'll have a uh, Behind Enemy Lines podcast waiting for you, looking at the Jaguars on Friday. And then, of course, there will be a pod from Building the Broncos, Scouts I Preview on Saturday. We'll see what the Dove Valley Deep Divers dudes have going on on Sunday. So still a ton of podcast content coming for you guys down the pike this week. And then, of course, Zach and I will return 
with a gut reaction simulcast on YouTube immediately following the Jaguars game on Sunday afternoon. So, you guys, thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good rest of your week. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.